Welcome to the Wheelhouse Podcast, where we talk about what's in my wheelhouse and maybe yours too. I'm your host, Sebastian Lane Kildee, and a little bit about me. I started listening to podcasts in 2005 with Dizenshu EX, the podcast. Since then, I've been listening to podcasts regularly, and I've always envisioned myself being in a podcast, so I figured, why not start one? I will primarily talk about sports and music, and I hope to expand into different topics over time. Without further ado, I want to bring on my first guest, Andrew Murray. Andrew and I have been friends since high school, and sports and music has always kind of kept us together and in touch over the years, uh, even when we've lived far and miles apart. Um, Andrew and I talk weekly, especially during football season. If we're honest, we're kind of a cheap imitation of Cousin Sal and Bill Simmons, guess the lines, except we don't guess the lines. We like to go over them every week, and we always like to talk about who's going to win, who's going to lose, all that kind of stuff you do with your friends at a bar or at home watching the TV. It's something Andrew and I have been doing for years, and I've always wanted to record it. There's definitely been some epic rants and just hilarious moments and podcasts, basically our conversation in long form, so we've always wanted to do this together. So here for the first time, me and Andrew Murray. But yeah, without further ado, I want to bring in Andrew Murray, and uh, I wanted I wanted to bring you in, man. I want to talk about the Chargers. Um, I want to look at ahead at the 2021 season we're about to head into. It's I mean, last year was definitely the most unique year probably we've ever seen, like in our entire time watching football. There's not been another season like it, and this again will probably be a totally different year again just because of what we're going to kind of break down a little bit. Let me start with the chargers. Um, so I just wanted to start with what's your overall expectation of the chargers this year. Uh, let's just start there. Well, it's hard to really pinpoint a specific expectation. Um, this is coming from a guy who's donning his uh, remnants of the San Diego chargers, his Philip rivers Jersey. I'm not cool enough and haven't bought uh, beachside property with Herbert yet. So I haven't made the, uh, the, the savvy real estate investment. That's probably going to be four times as much by the end of the season. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's, it's um, it really feels like a new era. And I know that's cliche to say with new coaching staff and, and what have you, but it, just based on the roster decisions that went down this past week, it very much feels that way. Um, there are 21 new players on this roster um, from yeah. last season. Yeah, th- that's that's it, kind of the biggest thing that stood out to me. Um, it's the, a ton of players. Why, why don't you tell me about a little bit more about who those new players are, the ones that stand out at least. I know there's been a lot of we've just went through cuts and stuff as uh, you know we head into week one. But tell me about you know the key new players that have joined the team. Sure thing. Um, well, I mean, there were there's a bevy of, of free agents and draft picks that have, have made the roster. Um, basically, every single draft pick made made the roster uh, this year. Wow. So, yeah. And, that, and mind you, there was uh, nine draft picks overall. Um, some really interesting names uh, to look at. So the first one that stands out is obviously Rashawn Slater, the left tackle they got at 13th overall, who basically fell to them, fell into their laps. Um, and they were able to put on the offensive line. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr., everyone well knows the son of Asante Samuel, who will be playing, um, I believe, at left cornerback, um, I suppose, or I guess that would be on the wide receiver um, in the backfield. 
you have uh, the third round pick. So this is very interesting. So this is where it started to get um, as far as in terms of what the roles of these players are. This is where it started to get kind of divisive among, um, I guess, people who follow the team, people who cover it. Um, so so the third round picks were the first one was uh, this receiver called Joshua Palmer, who came out of Tennessee. And he was relatively unknown because Tennessee, quite frankly, has not been good. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> like in any way, shape or form. Um, however, if there's one thing that they are extremely proficient at uh, in their history, it's creating skill position players and undervalued skill position. Players. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, Arian Foster, undrafted free agent. Alvin Kamara, third round yeah. pick. That's um, a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Marquez Callaway, who's uh, been burning it up for the Saints in the preseason. Uh, he was a relative oh. unknown. So not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> exactly. It, it It's amazing what happens in this, in one fell swoop. Um, yeah, so Palmer, how, ex- <laughs> how expendable Michael Thomas has become. But that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 burn that stick another day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so so Palmer comes in and immediately starts to take after Keenan Allen, which is what you should do. You should take after one of the best receivers in the league. Uh, he followed him around. He was second. He was always behind him in the catching drills, second in line every single time. Um, made the roster easily. Uh, blew everyone away in practice. Um, and he is one of the five wide receivers that made the roster. Yes, only five wide receivers made the roster, which I'll probably get into a little bit later. Um, Trey McKitty, third round pick as well. T- blo- basically a blocking tight end um, also got in. The biggest thing to take away here is that there are a lot of players who are in their designated roles as far as either edge rusher or linebacker or um, running back. But the thing that stands out to me about this roster is everyone has a role or at least a lot of the lower players, I guess you would deem them have a role on special teams because as we w- well know, the special teams unit has been horrendous Atrocious. for not just last year, but, and some people said last four years, I'd argue the last decade, they have been abominable and special teams oh, yeah. coverage and punting and kicking on field goals, anything, anything that they've done. Special teams has been a disaster. So the prevalence of this reference uh, on this uh, roster, I should say has been trying to get players Indated who are going to not only serve their role in the offensive defense, but be integrated on special teams, providing speed and providing competency on that side of the ball. Because clearly Staley and the staff looked at last year and said, this is inexcusable. We have to fix this. Well, let's talk about Staley. So he comes in, he takes over for, uh, for Anthony Lynn, who was a complete disaster. And it's crazy that he still is employed in the NFL to be frank. (laughs) <laughs> but tell me about Stanley. Tell me about his staff. What what are they bringing to the table that's going to be different with their group versus uh, Lynn? A, a lot of things. First of all, uh, as I mentioned, the special teams <laughs> unit. Uh, no, big, I mean, really, like, it is a, it's a big one. It's a it's a complete 180. And I mean that in every sense of the word um, versatility on the roster. You can't expect to win 10 games if you're going to lose in one phase of the game every week. Right. So, I mean, if they can improve that and win in that phase of the game, you know, most weeks, I mean, they're going to go up just from that. Yeah. If they're average on special teams, that is a win. 
if they're average on the offensive line, that is a win in, in, in my humble opinion. Um, I mean, versatility on, on the players roster, uh, the defensive scheme is so far different from what Gus Bradley was running, uh, and cover three. This is a versatile front. It's called the Eagle front basically. And it's just this sort of rotation of linebackers and, and defensive backs. Um, there's mixed fronts, mixed blitz packages. Um, a lot of disguises, a lot of cameo. There's a lot of verbiage in this defensive, uh, scheme, which, uh, has been a learning curve for a lot of the veterans. Cause there are a lot of veterans on this, uh, defense. There's, um, right. obviously there's Joey Bosa, Derwin James, um, Kenneth Murray's in his second year. Uh, even Linval Joseph, um, he came over from the Vikings. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of guys who've been around for a while and this is a, this is a huge learning cur- curve for them. Um, so yeah, I would say versatility, um, game management, God, um, that that's, that's something that I, I don't know. I can really like I can really put a finger on until I see it myself, but we're not going to know until we see it. (laughs) Right. But I would assume based on how they've addressed it in team meetings, it it is, (laughs) it is something that they have led. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something that they're just going to sweep under the rug and be like, well, we'll, uh, we'll get to that when we get there. Uh, no, this, this team has, has inside out turned everything. And I think the biggest thing for me too, um, is how, basically none of the starters played on offense for the entire preseason. They wanted to see every, every bone pick part of this entire offense and roster and the defensive roster. They wanted to see everybody. Uh, They wanted to get a sense of what habits were still left over from the previous regime. um, If anybody still had them. Um, And that led to some very interesting cuts in this roster as well. Who was cut? I would say the most surprising one was um, was basically Tyron Johnson. He was the fifth receiver. You, I'm not sure if you remember him. I remember, he, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was basically the fifth receiver, fourth receiver. And, I mean, in one hand, he was very quick off the ball and got downfield and was great for Herbert's arm strength because he just could shoot past people. Um, there's arguments to be made that he just basically was a glorified go route receiver. Um, and that he Mm -hmm. didn't really do other little things like blocking as well. And while there, uh, were some instances, apparently he got into a altercation or a verbal altercation with some of the players, um, the Seattle roster last week and in practice and didn't practice very well last week. I, I, I chalk it more up to, he just wasn't versatile enough to really fit on what this roster asked for. I mean, KJ Hill, who's the fifth receiver made the roster. He's going to be a return specialist. He's going to be returning kicks. There's the role that they want that they, so Tyron just became too one dimensional. And I'm not saying that doesn't fit for some teams. Cause I, like I said, his speed is an asset, but he wasn't, he wasn't what that Joe Lombardi, the offensive coordinator and Staley envisioned using on this team. So, Let's talk about Lombardi. Tell me a little bit about what Lombardi's offense is going to be like. How's it going to be different now that Herbert starts year two now? New offense, obviously. So it's kind of like starting over. Well, you have to ask yourself the question, I guess, when it comes to Joe Lombardi. You you should start with what version of the Drew Brees era am I getting? Am I getting the last three years that he had with Drew Brees? Or am I getting the 2009 version of Drew Brees, which Lombardi was around for? Um, Yeah. He had a previous a very short stint with the Detroit lions in the middle of his tenure. But 
Um, I would say it's going to look a lot more like the previous iteration of the Saints offense near the end of the 2000s, beginning of 2010s, where it was just complete chaos downfield and there was receivers running all over the place and going go routes and post and all kinds of intermediate, um, you know, routes, Jimmy Graham running down the field. You had all kinds of things going on in that Saints offense. I would imagine it's something more of that variation. It's just very interesting to see there only being five receivers on the on the roster. Obviously, there's going right. to be a lot of they have four tight ends. So that, if that gives you an indication, they're probably going to be running a lot of two tight end sets, one mm-hmm. uh, one back in the backfield, um, sort of just have maybe a three receiver set. I, I think they're going to do a lot of that, um, mm-hmm. which honestly might look like the bills offense in a way it might look like the dabble scheme in some ways. If I'm, if I'm envisioning it correctly, again, I'm not quite sure what they're going to do with that, but I just thought that to me was really interesting that they have, if I should give you the skill positions, basically four running backs, one fullback, five wide receivers and four tight ends. Like they're basically Mm -hmm. trying to establish maximum protection up front. Like, that's that that's how it spells to me. Like as much as upgraded as the offensive line is, they really want to make sure that Herbert doesn't get knocked on his ass uh, this season. Yeah. yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I feel like and I'm sure it goes back even further. But when in the you know late odds, early tens, uh, I when Belichick was employing Gronkowski and Hernandez as mm-hmm. his double tight end, we've definitely seen a desire to do that a lot when possible, but it's just difficult getting multiple, you know, good tight ends. I mean, New England's going to try it again with John o. Smith and Hunter Henry, but I want to talk about the tight ends next and then get to Eckler before we move on to uh, betting odds. So tell me about the tight ends that they've acquired now and that are on the roster. Um, and then we'll talk about Eckler. Well, I'm so glad because I was about ready to jump out of my seat to talk about one of these guys. Um, so uh, for for um, for most of people who don't know, I followed very closely a couple of years ago, the um, or I should say last year, it feels like a couple of years ago, the XFL, um, because there were a lot of very interesting players that uh, made their way through that league and were able to get roster spots in the NFL. Uh, right afterwards. And a lot of them have still actually stuck around. Um, but one of those players is there are actually two of them that are on this uh, chargers roster that are from the XFL storm Norton. One of them who is the tackle for the, um, the Los Angeles uh, wildcats. And then this other guy who I immediately paid attention to his name's Donald Parham. Uh, he is from Stetson university. And he is, if I'm not mistaken, he is six, eight and 237 pounds. He is behemoth. He is very lanky. He has, he has speed coming out of his break. Uh, he is just a complete hulking mammoth of a receiver basically. And apparently he has been having an excellent camp, uh, mm. from, from all the reports I've seen last year, he was still adjusting and trying to get used to the scheme last year. He was kind of a red zone target only, and caught a few touchdowns, but he apparently is going to factor more into the scheme, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, Jared Cook, holdover from the Saints. Um, he's been a long-established tight end. You're obviously very familiar with him. Um, yeah. Packers, Saints. He's 34 years old, so it's kind of a matter of where does the cliff hang, and does he, is he about to jump off of it, or is he right. still got some real estate before he he hits that cliff? 
Um, and then the other ones being Trey McKinney and Steven Anderson, uh, which Trey McKinney being from Georgia, they drafted in the third round. Those guys are primarily going to be blockers. So cook and Parham are going to be the receiving options. Um, and it's going to, I mean, it, this is not, we're going to throw to Hunter Henry over the middle 50 times during the year. That's not going to be that anymore. It's going to be a very diverse set of different tight end combinations. They're going to use. Mm. That sounds great. I, that's a, that's really exciting. I'm excited for Parm. I'm definitely going to be looking out for him week one. Um, let's talk about Eckler. So he's definitely one of the most exciting players that they have. And over the years, the hype for him has kind of been building up, but it feels like he's never been able to put six weeks together healthy. Yeah. So let's talk about maybe realistic expectations for him. And, and maybe what do we expect from Eckler? Because if we're running, you know, a saints offense from, you know, five, 10 years ago or something that could look like Alvin Kamara, I mean, he could probably do that, but can he stay healthy? Right. So let's talk about his realistic expectations for the year. Yeah. I imagine he gets a good, healthy 200, 250 touches during the year. Um, I think, there's enough rotation in the backfield that he won't have to burden that uh, take on all that burden. He was run up the middle a lot last year, which he can do. I don't think that's what this team wants to do anymore with him. Um, they want yeah. to use him more in that weapon format, as you were mentioning much more so than trying to be like, let's use him as a power back. I don't think that's his design role. Um, right. And also because the guy they drafted out of Missouri in the sixth round, Larry Roundtree, the third to me spells more of a, as a power back. Uh, that they mm. can use. Um, the other, pro- well, the problem is you mentioned health. The thing is that the guy behind him, Justin Jackson, hasn't really been um, a bill of of good health either. He's only yeah. really been able to play a handful of games over the last couple of years, and he's had hamstring injuries. I thought he was going to get cut just based on availability because he hasn't been around. He didn't play in the preseason. He was on the COVID reserve list at one point. Um, mm. I just thought it's his time had finally come, but apparently they still really like him. So. I I don't know. Yeah. So I'd say Eckler gets about 250 touches and then a mix of all the other three running backs in there who are all going to probably factor into the pass game in some way, shape or form. Obviously he's the most viable weapon. Uh, I would look for this guy, Joshua Kelly to get a lot of catches. He uh, good stat on him last year. Uh, he caught every target that was thrown his way. He caught all 21 targets uh, hmm. that he had last year. So he he's probably going to be that third down receiving back too as well. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah, I mean, so it really this thing with the Chargers, I feel like the in my entire life has been basically the Chargers can't stay healthy. They always have had injury nope. problems. I don't, it's yeah. I don't I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the medical team or like the weight code. I don't know what it is. It's like <laughs> same thing with the Redskins, sorry, the the Washington professional football team. It's the same thing with them. You know, they always have injuries. They always aren't conditioned properly. The Chargers a little bit better, but man, they always have some kind of, you know, some health issues. So that that's going to be a hurdle for them. Um, I mean, their team yeah. doctor literally took Tyrod Taylor out last year. <laughs> Is that team bad. doctor still working for the team? I don't think so, but I, I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny that. Uh, yeah. That rumor. Um, <laughs> well, hopefully the doctors don't mess up too much with these lines. So I want to circle back to overall expectations. Uh, maybe this can kind of help guide us what our expectations for the Chargers are this year. So uh, currently, generally, the lines across different sports books is 9.5 wins over under for the year. 
over is plus 110, under is minus 140. So not really one way or another. I like them to win 10, 11 games personally. So I'm thinking they're about over. Uh, what do you think? To me, that line is pure evil. I mean, a lot of them are, but I just nine and a half is like squarely where I look at them just smack dab of where I think they, they lie. Like if they could be a nine and a half win team, I would call them that as it stands. I, I, I think they win nine games. Do I think they could win 10? Absolutely. Definitely. With this roster, if they stay, if, if they stay healthy, I know we've said that a million times about them. Um, right. And, if, but the thing for me is their early schedule is absolutely brutal. Uh, their first six weeks, it, it gets a lot better in the second back half. Uh, their, their, um, their yeah. bye week comes on week six, but their first half is absolutely savage. Um, they play at Washington. They play at Baltimore. They play uh, the Cleveland Browns at home. They play your boys uh, on Monday night football at home, which might be the yeah, easiest yep. game for them. It's still not that easy because it's a division battle, but compared to the fact that they play Dallas at home and they also play, let me go. Th- let's go through the schedule and then let's see, because I think I know you're, you're, you're right. That first, those first four games, especially all of September is pretty tough. Yeah. But oh, I think because of now that there's less hitting in practice, less preseason, I think September is going to kind of go Belichickian for most teams where like everyone's trying to get back, you know, get up to snuff in September and get rolling, you know, once the latter back, ha- you know, once the meat of the season starts. Right. So they mm-hmm. got Washington in Washington. That's going to be a tough game. Yeah. They got Dallas and L.A. I think they can win that one. They got they're playing in at the Chiefs on the 26. That's going to be a tough one. Andy Reid is is 16 and 0 in the last uh, 16 games in September. (laughs) Right, right. They host the Raiders. I mean, that's a winnable game, but I mean, that's also a game where they can lose. Yeah, Uh, it's not easy. Yeah, yeah. You host the Browns. That's not an easy one. Uh, Chargers at Ravens. That's not going to be well. We'll see. We'll, we'll we'll talk about the Ravens actually next. Pats at Chargers. That's going to be a tough game, I think. You get the Eagles. That's a win. You get the Vikings. That's a win. You get the Steelers. That that's a winnable game, I think. I, I'm not as hot on them as I think other people are. You get mm-hmm. the Broncos. I think that's a win. You get the Bengals. That's a win. You get the Giants. That's a win. You get the Chiefs. December sixteenth. I mean, depending on how their season goes, I mean. They may, you know, already kind of have things locked up by then. Maybe not, but it's at the end of the season. You get the Texans. That's a win. You get the Broncos. That's a win. Now you do get Chargers or you sorry. You do get the Raiders last week of the season. That could be an interesting one because both those teams potentially could be fighting for, you know, the playoff lives, right? Yeah. If the Raiders and it's in, are, and it's in Vegas. Yeah. And it's in Vegas. So. And it's going to be in January and, you know, things may be back kind of back to normal or more normal by then. So, yeah, it's it's a tough schedule. So actually, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going under. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it really is. It's it's a shame because I, I like the roster. It's just it's, it's just a brutal schedule, especially in the first um, yeah. seven games, first six weeks um, that yeah. I. 
I, I, you know, it's weird. So I'm actually going to flip a couple of your picks. I agree with you for the most part. The ones I would flip and it sounds weird is I think they're going to be really pissed off about that Patriots game last year. For those who are on the roster, I think they want to destroy them. And I think Staley wants to come out and, and help them do that. Um, it's going to be a, that's a Halloween game. Um, yeah. I, 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 w- I really think that they're going to be really rare to go on that one and not be embarrassed again. The one that actually scares me is at Denver. And the reason is this because Staley and Ronaldo Hill, who is the, the defense coordinator are disciples of Vic Fangio. And I think he knows that roster and that team very well. Um, I could see things not going super well on offense in Denver. I think their defense is very good. If it's healthy again, if it's, they have a healthy defense, I think that's a tough game. If it's not, then they probably have a better chance. But I, I worry about that, 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 um, being a gimme game. I don't think that's really something that I necessarily see out of Denver mm-hmm. on the road at home. I think they take care of business, but that at Denver in November, a game is going to be a little tough. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I think it's just, it's a matter of surviving. If they go three and three in the first six weeks, I consider that a win. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Those are, that would be, that'd be, you're right. That would be actually very good. Cause let's say they go three and three. That would mean, that would mean they probably beat the Cowboys. They probably would have beaten the Raiders and they probably would have beaten. I'm going to say, wouldn't be surprised if they managed to beat the Browns at home. Mm-hmm. Um, Baltimore on the road, Washington on the road. Uh, that's a little tough. Those defenses are tough, but I could see them getting the Browns on the you know, at home. I could see that. Yeah. Can, so, I, can yeah. I give a score? Can I give a score position for that, for that Washington game already? Or are we not doing that yet? Cause I already, I've had it in Go my ahead. head for, for four Go months. For it. <laughs> um, Go for it. I, I straight up think they're going to lose that game 19 to 16. And the reason why is I think chase young <laughs> is going to obliterate Eat Rashawn Slater, not because Rashawn Slater's bad, but because all he's probably heard is, Oh, Rashawn Slater beat you that one time in college. And I'm, and yeah. chase young is, is a, is not a boy anymore. He wasn't a boy then, but he's going to come out and just try to mash Slater. And I, and I think that defensive line is just going to try and obliterate like Ron Rivera coming out of the gate with that team, I think is going to be so on it's on point, especially on defense. It's going to be really scary for the chargers. I don't think they're going to figure out their offense the first week because of that. So that I, I like, I could just see the score being 16, 19 to 16 Washington. Like I've had that you. in my head for four months. <laughs> Oh yeah, I I got you. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm I'm a big believer in the Deadskins this year. Um, <laughs> if you just roll through their schedule, I I think they can win 11 games. I know that sounds crazy, but I think they're going to win 11 games. Mm-hmm. I think they're I think they're going to get. They they're going to beat their division. I actually think they're going to beat everyone in their division twice, including the boys. I think they're going to beat them twice. Um, and they get some tougher opponents at home. So like they get the bucks at home, they get, uh, the saints at home early too. saints early in the, in the year, which I like, um, they get the chiefs at home, which I'm not saying that's a winnable game, but like, you know, they, if, if things get sticky, I mean, they could, they could get them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Seattle, they get Seattle at home. They could win that one. I think just with defense alone. So, you know, I mean, there, I don't think there's, there might not be any shame in the chargers losing to the, to the Washington football team early on. That might be a divisional winning team that goes to the playoffs. Right. No. Yeah. So, th- these are all like playoff 
potential teams they're playing the right. first six weeks. And you're talking about probably three division winners here, you know, wa- probably Washington right. Chiefs and possibly Browns or Ravens. Like that's the, like <laughs> yeah. straight up division winners they're playing. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, the Raiders might not be a playoff team, but they're going to play you hard. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So they're going to push you at least. Oh, I'm already um, expecting yeah. Carr to throw four touchdowns. Like he's, he's, I don't know what it is, but he just is a magic man. Well, yeah. When he sees when he sees a division rival, his eyes just turn red. All of a sudden, he's really good. His fibula works at full capacity. His backbone work, but he sees the you know he sees the Vikings at home. He's got he's got trouble with his underwear. But um, I digress. Um, let's let's move on then. Um, yeah. I do want to. There's two last odds before we look ahead. So I looked up some some betting odds on the playoffs. They're plus two eighty to lose in the wild card. They're plus four seventy five to lose in the divisional. I like that plus four seventy five to lose in the divisional. I think that's a great one. I would that would be one where I wouldn't mind thinking about putting a hundred on that and just let it ride because I could see them getting in the wild card and and getting the right opponent and really upsetting somebody. I could see it. Yeah, I might be too down on them being like too inexperienced to get in the wild card. But at that point, they might just be so juiced to be in that position yeah. that they might be ready. And they've had some odd amount of success. I'm granted result with rivers, but rivers never lost a wild card game on the road. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. He, uh, he, he, um, they, they seem to do very well in the wild card slot. Um, <laughs> interestingly enough. So, yeah, I mean, again, different regime, but I, I think, yeah, it's absolutely possible. I, I like that as well. I, I wasn't so bullish on it at first. And then I thought about it more and I, and I thought, you know, at that point, they figured things out. I think this is a, the, the the Chargers are a project. I really believe that. I think they're a project, yeah. and they're gonna. They are not a team. Their final form, or at least close to their final form, I don't think anyone will see until week eight or week nine. And I mean that's the case with most teams, but I think they really are not going to be who they are until later in the season. No, I mean we might not really see. We might start seeing what they. We might start seeing the the beginnings of what they might be towards the end of the season. We won't mm-hmm. really see the, the full scope of it really for probably two, three seasons. But yeah, I think by the end of the year, let's say they go, you know, nine and eight or whatever, uh, you know, we might be saying like, Hey, they're going the right direction here. You, you know, they really pushed some tough teams. You know, they gave, you know, let's just say, for example, they really gave the Patriots a hard time. Say the Patriots win it, you know, wild card game or something, you know, I could see that too, but I could also see them getting in and really spoiling someone's time too. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that I want to play them if, you know, they progress the way I think a lot of people are feeling um, good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I want to look ahead to the season and there's a bunch of stuff we could talk about, but I mainly just want to start by what are our top three or five storylines. So I'm just going to start with a couple for you. So first, I mean, one of the biggest ones is just COVID's overall effect, obviously. And but now with returning opt-out players coming back from last year, uh, that kind of changes it from last year. But we still have a we still have you know clusters of un- unvaccinated players, some of which are very vocal about it. Um, but I think the big storyline with all that said is now with these new policies in place, basically, um, if you have an outbreak on your team. And you can go into more detail if you want to. But if you have an outbreak on your team and you don't have enough players to play or whatnot, 
you have to forfeit the game. Your players will not get paid. Uh, so it's in your best interest to obviously get vaccinated, wear masks, do whatever you can to avoid an outbreak. But the players, uh, sorry, the league have, have definitely leveraged the rules in a way that it's in your best interest to get vaccinated, no matter how you feel about it. Um, so I think that's the number one storyline to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that really is the one for me. And, um, if I may give you, well, I'll, 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 I guess I'll touch on this first. Um, I, first of all, that, that policy to me, um, I applaud in a lot of ways because here's the, the, here's the thing with it. It doesn't say you have to get the vaccine. What it says is here's right. the set of consequences that are lined up. If you choose not to take this route and basically it's put into consideration with the teams saying, this is what you stand to lose if you don't do this. And, right. um, that's, that's fair business practice. That's just covering, covering up in, in business practice, honestly. And, yeah. um, I, I, I don't think it's any sort of like, it's, it's not a, we're going to pin you down and, and inject you with fluid. Like that's not, that's not what's going on here. Um, I think it's going to be a very, it, I mean, it has obviously been, um, a point of contention for several players, um, which has affected decisions in terms of who gets to stay on rosters and who doesn't, um, at least thanks to, uh, Mr. Urban Meyer down in uh, Jacksonville for vocalizing that. Uh, so, yeah, um, I mean, say what you will about him, but he, he said something that everyone else already was thinking. I mean, he's getting punished for his candor. They're not going to be able to prove that. Like he basically traded, you know, Gardner Minshew, for example, because he wasn't vaccinated, for example, or cut a player because he wasn't vaccinated. They're not going to be able to prove that at the end of the day. You know, they're going to just all they have to say is basically like, well, we felt that this was the best for the team. This player is playing better. You know, yeah, it's hard to prove that. But I also just honestly think, yeah, I mean, it definitely is a part of it. Like, sure, it is a part of it. Yeah. To deny that would just be a flat out lie. But is it the ultimate determinant? No, it's not. If Cam Newton was playing, you know, out of his gourd in New England, but he wasn't vaccinated, they wouldn't have cut him. Right. Uh, yeah, that wouldn't have. I don't care. You know, look at Lamar Jackson. He's clearly not vaccinated. He's gotten covid twice. It, are they going to do anything with him? No, no, because he's an MVP you know, player. So, of course, they're not going to get rid of him. So, I mean, it's just ridiculous to think that that would be a reason for why, you know, you would cut someone, trade someone or whatever. Yeah, that is true. Although, uh, if I may give an interesting parallel, which I'm, I'm not sure um, how many people heard about this today. But so my my quirk here, everyone, one of us picked up a nice little hobby during our um, our pandemic. Uh, my little quirk has been following the CFL this year, which I have never done. I've never watched CFL in my entire life before the season. Um, because I was ravenously curious to see how they would deal with this whole COVID thing. Cause they missed their entire season last year. They canceled the season because they said, right. we don't have fans. We can't make money. We can't play our players basically. Right. And let's um, circle back to that in a minute. Yes. Yeah. But I wanted to give you something this to consider that I don't know if the NFL would ever consider, but something that happened today in the, in, in the league that I think is very interesting. A player on the, uh, the Edmonton Elks, formerly known as the Edmonton Oilers, uh, who the, um, who Warren moon used to play for um, 
their offensive lineman, this guy, Jacob Ruby got uh, cut from the team because he basically caused an unvaccinated outbreak last week, which caused them to move one of their games. They couldn't play it against the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, it came out that apparently he lied to the team about uh, having a vaccination card. Wow. They, they <laughs> oh, okay. pressed him. They pressed him and he kept saying, I have it. And then finally he couldn't prove it and they cut him. Today, the CFL came out to all of the teams that said, We are putting a ban on him being signed. They have wow. essentially blackballed this guy from being signed by the league for not following wow. the protocol. Yeah. I, I have not seen that. Um, yet from any league, at least from my knowledge, I just yeah. thought that was very interesting uh, that that transpired that story today. That's great. That's, that's a great bit. Yeah, that, that was very interesting to me. And also juxtaposed with that, all the CFL teams also are require full vaccination status from all fans to attend. Now I know there's only nine teams, but still for every province to be on the same wavelength for that is yeah. pretty pretty interesting. So I just wanted to go back and kind of juxtapose that with what's going on in the NFL and seeing this kind of developing uh, strategy as far as dealing with unvaccinated players. Um, do I think there would ever be a blackballing of a player for not getting vaccinated and getting cut? Not publicly. Uh, not publicly. No, internally we've, I mean, we're very adverse to internal um, blackballing with certain yeah. players for certain reasons. So could that happen? I think absolutely. If there may be a point where it becomes a threat to the business model, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah. So I just, I just thought that was, um, that that was just well, very interesting going on in a parallel, in our neighbors up north, uh, parallel to what's great. going on. Yeah, that's great. I had not heard that that report. I definitely want to talk about some stories involved with with COVID. Uh, mm -hmm. Buffalo Bills idiot vaxer or anti-vaxer Cole Beasley. He exposed. He was exposed to a trainer uh, with COVID. Uh, he made a doofus statement earlier in the in July, wearing his mask as a chin diaper, explaining his position as a pro vaxer. I don't know if you heard the video at all, but I checked it out. And basically his statement was like written by a lawyer agent or some kind of media strategist. It certainly wasn't written by him because he doesn't have two brain cells to string together. Um, but his Twitter page, if you look at that, it's just like all this dismissive shit basically saying like, well, it doesn't make a difference if I get vaccinated. I could still get it like, yes, but you're not going to die and you're you're probably going to have mild symptoms. We do know that it's kind of up in the air right now as far as like how well it helps, you know, once you get infected or if you get infected or breakthrough, you know, how much you spread it if you're vaccinated. But even still, like you should just be getting it. You downplaying it doesn't help. Right. And this is going to be a part of the league, whether players like him or coaches, even there's some coaches that have been very resistant against COVID, you know, whether they like it or not, you know, it's part of the business now. And then you're probably going to have a shot, you know, again, so get used to it. Um, I also found this quote or actually found this report uh, this evening, Andrew, and mm -hmm. I don't know if you saw it, but I'm going to read it to you. So Bill Belichick has been interviewed all day, you know, about this change from, you know, releasing Cam Newton to starting Mac Jones. And he's given pretty much non-answers to things or just, you know, one word answers. Um, it had been asked today, you know, if COVID had anything to do with Cam's evaluation or release, his answer was basically no. But he was asked about COVID and vaccines. And here's his quote. Bill Belichick says your implication that the vaccine solves every problem has not been substantiated. The number of players and coaches and staff members who have been affected with COVID after being vaccinated is a pretty high number. I won't lose sight of that. So take that for what you will. But he does have a point. It doesn't solve every problem. But 
the NFL and the NFL PA or NFL players association, their data rate has shown that players that are testing positive for COVID-19 uh, are seven times higher for unvaccinated players. So sure. It doesn't solve every problem, but the data bears out. You're more likely to not test positive if you're vaccinated. Hmm. So Bill Belichick. Folks. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the question of, would you rather have smoldering embers in your backyard or a kitchen fire? So, right. I mean, <laughs> like he's not wrong in terms of it not affecting people who are vaccinated. Obviously this uh, new variant, a Delta variant has caused that um, to be the case for a lot of people. But at the same time, this, the residual effects of having COVID as an unvaccinated person has been detrimental. I can attest this because my sister works as a nurse at night and she sees this every single day. People who are yeah. unvaccinated are basically on the breathing tube. Um, it's, right. it, and so I, I, I understand what he's saying. He's not wanting it to be a, a factor into his decision-making his process, but as a coach and as a personnel person, you know, he's thinking about it. Like you have to consider, consider what's going to happen. If somebody, if they're not, high profile enough, are they going to be able to have some sort of, are they going to have some sort of diminishing returns to your team if they proceed to go about their business, you know? And I mean, yeah. so someone like cool. DeAndre Hopkins, who was outspoken about it about a month ago, who I don't know if he's been vaccinated since, but was outspoken on Twitter before, you know, that's someone who's not going to get cut because he's too damn good. But, and Lamar Jackson, he's not going to get cut like you were saying, but you know, Someone who's borderline. Well, yeah, it's, it's one more thing that's pegged against you. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. It just is. It just is. Yeah, you're you're 100 percent right. And then you have fools like Kirk Cousins saying, you know, I'll do anything for the team. But he basically pulls a meatloaf, but he won't do that. Right. He won't get vaccinated. Um, <laughs> you know, Doofus out of hell should be his album, not fucking bad out of hell. Um, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> Did you see? Did you see the the tweet by Everson Griffin, the, uh, the I should say the former Vikings defensive end who got he no, got go cut. he he basically <laughs> tweeted out a while ago that Kirk Cousins was ass, literally like that Kirk Cousins was ass is what he wrote on Twitter and he tried and it became a point of contention in the in the locker room and they cut him but like I mean he is COVID aside, he's not wrong people COVID aside people have been chasing him down like Justin Jefferson was yelling at him that he wasn't getting him the ball last year. Jefferson is a rookie. Yeah. Because Justin Jefferson knows that Kirk cousin blows. Like he just, he's not, I know it's not getting to analysis here, but I'm sorry. He blows. He's not good. (laughs) He is not good. I mean, Mike Zimmer hates him. Kirk knows it. I know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nope. But he's, he's man. He should get some kind of an award, some kind of some kind of award for how he's been able to make the money that he makes, because he really I mean, he's borderline starter. He's really a backup, really. But anyway, that's another conversation for another day. Uh, but I don't think that uh, doing what's right for the team or doing everything he can for his team is really part of Kirk's portfolio. Um, let's move on to other things. So other storylines, and I'm just going to throw a couple of these at you. They're a little bit more open-ended. Can the Bills or the Ravens win the AFC? Oh, sorry. Can the Bills or the Browns win the AFC? 
Um, the bills definitely. Yes. Um, that is a, that is a hard yes for me from the bills. Um, I really, I really feel I'm very encouraged by what they did last year. I like the updates they made in the roster. I like that they kept Dable. That's awesome. I think that's fantastic that they kept Brian Dable. Good for them. Um, I like Sean McDermott. I think their roster management's been excellent the last four years. I'm really, I, I think them, I really like teams and I know this goes both ways. It can go one of two ways, but I really love right. teams who lose, lose the championship game because the right teams look at that and go, we want to get better. We want to be like the chiefs. We want to be like the champion. Like they look at that. I, I remember Stefan Diggs being on the field last year at the end of the game and staring off at the trophy ceremony thinking like I've lost two of these. He's lost two championship games now for two different leagues. He doesn't want to do that again. You know, two I think there's conferences. enough. <laughs> yeah. Two, sorry. Two different conferences. Excuse me. Yeah. You're right. No, sorry. Not two different. right. Sorry. No, no, 1965. It would be two different leagues, but yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. But yeah. it's still funny. Um, it's like, wow. He has lost in two different conferences in the championship game. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Vikings and, um, and, and bills. Yes. Yeah. Straight up. He lost and lost to, yeah. In both cases, um, the Browns, man, God, I, I love what they have on their roster. And I, I think they are def they're definitely going to win a playoff game. I'm very confident in saying that they're going to win a playoff game, possibly win the division. Uh, I, I just can't help but think about the Baker variable. And it's not that I don't like Baker, but I just don't know about that extra push at the end that they need from him mm -hmm. and from from their playmakers at the end of the season. Like, that's just yeah. something I'm I'm not confident in being able to answer that question. They might have to lose again in order to really have that fire for next year. I think last year they were learning to win this year. I think they know better how to win, but yeah. I don't know if they have that last push that really gets them over the hump. But I do think the bill, I really believe that the bills have the potential to show that more so than the Browns, the bills. The only thing that really worries me with them is that defense, mm, that yeah. defense really worries me. The Browns though. I actually think they can win the AFC because really? yes, I do. They were really close to beating the chiefs. They were really close and they didn't lose because of Baker. They lost because the head coach who we both like, Stefanski made some, he made some bad decisions at the end of the, you know, towards the end of the game, I think, especially on defense, that's not going to happen again. They know what they have in Baker. They are going to handicap it in the right ways to make sure he doesn't fuck it up for them. Now, you're right. He's not going to be able to make special plays, but they have so much around him to make it work. I definitely think that they can do it with him. Now, a lot of obviously things have to go right, but the Chiefs are not perfect either. They have to work out their line. I don't know if their line is going to work, by the way. I know that they signed uh, Orlando Brown, but he is a, he was a very good run blocker. His pass blocking. We'll have to find out. I'm skeptical of the chiefs line. I don't, I know they've spent a lot of resources trying to fix it. You know how it is with lines. They need time to play together for a long time. When they won that first super bowl with Mahomes, that line had been together for a while. You know, Eric Fisher was a 10 year vet at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they had a lot of continuity there, right? They played with Alex, uh, with Alex Smith. This is a whole new line and I'm, they could work. I'm not saying that they won't. I'm just saying I'm skeptical. So I think a team like the Browns is a bad matchup for them, uh, especially late in in the playoffs. Yeah, that is interesting what you say about the offensive lines. I, I almost feel like 
the chief situation, the charter situation are treated as separate, but I mean, they're essentially the same. Both lines mm-hmm. got completely overhauled and that yeah. through, through draft capital and through trade. Raiders too. Raiders yeah. too. We have the yeah. same issue. Although I have a lot more faith in the Raiders just simply because a lot of the guys that they got rid of were older and the guys that they're bringing up were built and were brought up in the system. So like, these are guys we drafted and we've been developing. I actually have a lot of quiet confidence in the Raiders line. I actually think we'll be fine. I think people will be surprised how well that the line will play considering the youth of it. Mm-hmm. But I have true concerns about the chargers line or sorry that the chiefs line chargers. Yeah, I have concerns, but the chiefs have super bowl expectations and they have a lot of guys that, Orlando Brown is not a pass blocker, really. And they're asking him to play that. They brought in uh, Kyle Long, right? Chris Brown mm-hmm. or Chris Long's brother. He's mm-hmm. been out of football. So and he's older and he's had a lot of injuries. So I don't know. It's just it's a new line. You know, we're going to have to see. Um, I just I have my skepticism. Um, so we'll we'll see about that. But, yeah, I, I'm I really think the Browns. I mean, again, it's the Browns, so I'm ready to also get fucked over. But I have a really good feeling about them this year. Wow. I mean, that I, again, they're like I said, I love their roster. It's mm-hmm. awesome. They have absolutely their their defense was horrid last year. They have completely overhauled it, and I yeah. I absolutely think it's going to be better. I definitely think that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So I will give them that. Let's uh, let's move on. Um, who will win the NFC West and can any of the losers win a wild card spot? This is a tough uh, one. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've backed off um, the Cardinals considerably as time has gone on. Um, I think they're in the same quandary that the Chargers Andrew, were in last year. Shocked if they weren't four and oh, they're shocked. It's not just, <laughs> it's the, it's the freaking coaching deficit, man. I, I just, I can't get over the fact that they are in, in the same boat as the chargers were last year with Lynn. I really feel that way about cliff Kingsbury. I really do by far the worst coach in that division. Like it's not close. Like it is not even close. Yeah. So I think they're out the, the 49ers. I mean, it really, uh, (laughs) it really depends on who's under center and at what time of the season. I mean, I don't want Trey Lance starting off the season, but I also don't know if Jimmy G can last the entire year either. So that's a good point. Yeah. I was gonna, I was waiting to jump in there and I, I know I just did now, but I, I only reason why I really see Jimmy ever losing the job is cause he gets, he got, he would get hurt, which is very possible. Mm-hmm. But I, if from what I've seen of, of Trey Lance, there's no fucking way he should start at any point unless he just exponentially gets better and can read defenses all of a sudden to read basic blitzes. And honestly, other than that, I, I don't think he should play this year at all. I, he is not ready. Yeah. I no. I've, 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 um, I, I still very much like him as a prospect, but here's the problem oh, with that word sure. prospect prospect. That's the right. problem. He's a prospect. I think, yes. I think that there's so many differences I draw between him and Mac Jones in that, obviously not just from an athletic standpoint, but just in terms of reps. I mean, Mac Jones starts for a year and a half. He plays for a tra- championship team. He's on that ba- Bama roster for five years, um, getting reps and practice, getting time to develop, getting time to work on all of his timing all and all of that. Trey Lance plays 
13, 14 games. I don't remember off the top of my head, but very little games. 13. Doesn't, doesn't throw. Yeah. doesn't throw that many pass attempts. Um, he just hasn't had enough. Again, he hasn't had enough time in the batting cage. Basically, he hasn't had enough time to develop a lot of those things because he's very young and very raw. Um, may he end up better than Jones at one point in some time if he's in the right system, which I think he's in the right system. Yes, but he's not ready to go out there right now. Mac Jones at least would be ready to go out there right now if he got drafted by San Francisco. But you know, they Can they you imagine. Just, uh, well, I mean, people would have lost their minds if they traded up to three to go get him. <laughs> so Here, there have been, he, here's the thing though. They didn't need to trade up to three. They could no, have they traded didn't. up just ahead of the Patriots and gotten Mac Jones and they could have traded Garoppolo yesterday. That's the thing I don't understand. Like you're trying to win now, right? And we'll get to Mac Jones, but like clearly, I mean, here, here's a, here's the difference between him and Lance. It'll take Lance years, years before defensive coordinators and head coaches on other teams are worried about what he's going to do at the line of scrimmage, how he's going to play, you know, how he's going to change the play before, before they hike it. Right. No Mm -hmm. one's going to be fucking worried about that for two years. At least they're already worried about that with Mac Jones. They're already worried about that. So that's my thing. They're already worried about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, the, the, the 49ers were sitting at 12. They literally could have sat there and taken Jones, yeah, but they, they, they didn't, they, they, they didn't feel the need to, and they went for Lance. I don't know how much truth there is to them wanting Jones in the first place. We'll never know, but <laughs> I mean, I think it's all smoke. It has I think to they be always wanted Lance. I think they always wanted Lance. Yeah. Because Lance was going to get picked off by either Carolina or somebody, somebody was going to go up and get him because he was just too intriguing. Because everyone knew everyone and their mom knew it was Lawrence and Wilson one, two. And then Lance yeah. was the magical fruit just dangling. I, I probably on a boat, you know, you know, on an Island with Tom Hanks by myself and Castaway. I mean, if I'm wrong, great. You can replay this if you want. I think, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be anything. I really don't see. It. I think he can be a borderline bust to be honest with you. I look, I also thought the same about Josh Allen. But what proof was there that he was going to be what he was? And also, he did the one thing no quarterback's ever been able to do in the pros, improve his accuracy. I think that's a one-off. I don't. I just don't see it with Trey Lance. I just don't really see what everyone – why don't we, before we move on to something else, tell me what it is that you actually think or what you saw when he was in college that actually made the 49ers do this and grab him at three and give up all these assets. I, th- I think it's – Purely a lot has to do with his running ability. I really do. I think just the fact that he's a, a strong runner, that he can run counter and basically add this another dimension to Kyle Shanahan's offense. Basically, I don't know about his arm because I haven't seen him throw enough. That's a complete yeah. mystery to me. It really is. It really yeah. is. I mean, I, I feel I don't know. I don't know if I feel as similar with him because I had more experience watching him. But it seems like to me like Kawhi Leonard, where I looked at Kawhi and said, you are he is so raw. He's so underdeveloped shooting. And then when he got drafted by the Spurs, I thought if there's one team that's going to make him perform well, it's that team. And I feel the way the same way about Trey Lance Get, getting drafted by the 49ers is great for him. If he's going oh, to yeah. succeed, it's with that team. And if he doesn't, then yeah, he would have been a bust with anybody. Honestly, that's like the one yeah. all one all be all that I will. I will say if he ends up busting again, then yeah, it would have never worked. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. 
Can the Patriots make the playoffs this year? Um, yes, I, and I almost believe they're going to make the playoffs, which seems insane, but I, I go back to the fact that they won, they went seven and nine last year. There is no reason on this earth with that roster that a team should go seven and nine under any circumstances. And yet there they were. And they, I mean, they bulldozed a couple teams, including the chargers because they were so deficient. Bill Belichick uh, won that game by himself. Literally won that game by himself. Almost. He could have been out there playing and he probably would have won it by himself. He was, <laughs> I'm not even joking. He could have had a 25, 30 yard punt return. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, no, I, I think his management speaks for itself last year. And I think this roster is much better, much more overhauled. And they just looked like they played with a lot more confidence. I know it was the preseason. And again, I know the opponents weren't exactly quality, but I think this team just has a much better head on its shoulders. It's not depleted. You know, there's no opt outs. There's no injuries. There's no people that left in free agency, not being sold. You know, as Bill said last year, they sold out for a bunch of Super Bowls, which is true. And they've completely overhauled the roster. Yeah, I, I have no problem thinking. I said they were going to be nine and eight. I'm feeling more like 10 and seven straight up. I got them at 11 and six. Hmm. We both like the over there. It's, it's been fluctuating a little bit, but generally it's been staying at around nine and a half like the chargers. Surprisingly, I thought it might move one way or another. Mm. It stayed pretty much the same. They're plus 300 to win the division, which I, they're not going to win the division and plus 300. It's not worth it. But if it was like a little bit higher, you know, that would be really interesting because you never know, right? It's Belichick. Um, yeah. Now this one, or, I love. you know, or, 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 or injuries mm. to the bills, you know, or injuries to the Bills, yeah, absolutely, right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be shocked, but like I don't expect it. I expect the Bills to win it. Um, I expect the Bills to beat the Patriots at least once, if not twice, probably at home, right? Mm-hmm. But I did like this one, plus six hundred to lose in the divisional round. Definitely a wild card team, and you know that Belichick's going to get some matchup where he's playing some coach somehow looked into the playoffs, you know, it's going to happen. Like, oh my God. Can you imagine if it's like Zach Taylor? That's no, it's not going to be I, Zach God, Taylor. I, God, I would cry my, my soup. If that was the case, it's, it's not going to be Zach Taylor, but like they're going to get, you, you know, they're going to get an AFC South team or something oh, like that. God. And they're going to get yeah. beat up on them. You know, they would love to get the Colts so they could beat up on the Colts. Yeah. Uh, no, it can't. Well, it can't be because it has to be a division. Oh, wait, no, because they're a wild card team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? If they got matched up with the Titans, probably or the Colts. Yeah. Oh, they, they want the AFC South. Everybody oh, wants he, the AFC South. I think Bill wants make Mike Rabel because he wants to beat his ass after he embarrassed him two years ago. Oh, oh yeah. I, yeah. You're right. I think he wants to yeah. destroy Vrabel. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I think that every I think every team in that division, even the ones that are yeah, the Colts. So really, the only contenders in that division is the Colts and uh, the Titans, and I think both of them are a house of cards. They're just like one or two injuries away from just being complete shit, you know? Yeah. Week. Let's see here, week five, they got Buccaneers at home. I think it's gonna. I think that game's gonna be fucking insane. Those tickets <laughs> like are I, gonna be like forty hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah, like no, forty thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be an insane game. Yeah. You that's know. Sunday night football, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's uh, eight or five twenty 
Pacific Standard Time. Yeah. I I honestly cannot wait for that game. Also, very quick shout out. Uh, I want to give to the NBC um, football promotional staff. They get me every yeah. time. I'm not kidding you. They had an NFL ad the other day. It was like a 15, 20 second spot. And I swear to God, they're using uh, Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. I've heard this song more times than I've probably had existence on this earth. And yet for some reason, somehow that got me jacked up for the, for the broadcast for football. And I was like, how do they do this? Like I've heard, I should not be getting jacked to this, to Axel Rose. And yet here I am like, they do an incredible job with their marketing. They really do. Seriously. Taylor Dungy Tariko Sunday night. (laughs) Straight up. <laughs> Want to thank you for taking the time to uh, to try this first podcast with me, and uh, I'm sure we'll do way more uh, media hot takes. And we're definitely going to be reconvening periodically, hopefully weekly, uh, during the football season, talking about um, how the games are going, uh, <laughs> talking about gambling, <laughs> especially. <laughs> Um, for those listening for the first time last year, Andrew and I recorded every week during the regular season. We went over basically all the games, what the over under was, what the line, uh, what the lines were. Um, we really enjoyed it. They were pretty long, just like this podcast here, but, uh, we really enjoyed it. So hopefully we can do that again, man, and, and keep it going. Definitely. We're just getting started. Right on. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. Always. Take care.